This week, I'm in the room with author Leonard Sweet discussing his new book, The Bad Habits of Jesus. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 54. My name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm your host, and uh, it's great to have you back on the podcast. In the Room is your opportunity to listen in on my conversations with authors and artists and pastors about both what they do and how they do it. And this week, I'm very excited to have on uh, a man that I've read for a very long time named Leonard Sweet, which some will be familiar with. I believe that Leonard Sweet has written like 172,000 books. And his most recent is called The Bad Habits of Jesus. And so um, I'm here with Scott Holthouse in our offices uh, in Hickory and wanted to start off because of the topic of this book, talking about, Scott, what are your worst habits? What are my worst habits? Yes. Hmm. Other than taking too long to answer my questions yeah. on this podcast. I, in the moment, what I'm thinking right now is how real do I want to get? <laughs> uh I, like, I bite my nails. Well, that's I a will, bad habit. I will see your biting nails okay. and raise you. Toenails? I like to pick my toenails. Oh. Yeah. It just got real. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I instantly regret that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that. Let's see what else. I bite my nails, too. Mm-hmm. You, know what, you know what's interesting? Here's what I find is the grossest part of biting nails. It's not the actual biting of the nail. I've got a theory about biting nails we'll come back to, but go ahead. Well, we need to hear that. Yeah. But it's the biting and then discarding mm-hmm. like on somebody's living room floor. Yeah. That afterwards, also, you're never coming over for dinner again. I'm, there may or may not <laughs> be a few nails of mine in the Hughley household. <laughs> But uh, that's the part that I find like, oh, that part's nasty. I feel bad about. Sometimes right, here, I just put here, it in my pocket. But. Here's my theory. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. You should be happy. That's considerate of me. Yeah, I'll I guess pocket it the is. nail rather, rather than, than dirty put it on my floor. Right, what's your right. theory? So here's my theory. Uh, I think that biting your nails is a disgusting habit. Sure. I've tried so hard to kick it. And, uh, but my theory is because of, because it's disgusting because you know you have germs on your hands. Your hands are super dirty. Oh, man. I actually think that I have it's built like you have up two walking toilets. But I think I've built up like a superhuman, like X Men <laughs> tolerance to sickness because Tammy gets sick all the time. She yeah. doesn't bite her nails. I bit my nails since I was a little kid and I'm, I'm always, I'm, I get sick for like an hour Well, and then I'm better. There you go, folks. Forget your antibiotics and your vitamins. Just start biting your nails. Yeah. would be less of us that are sick. If you want to live longer. All right. So now that we've uh, finished up that really edifying <laughs> portion of our conversation, uh, Leonard Sweet is on today. I think the first time I read a book by Leonard Sweet was in the early 2000s, a book called Aqua Church. Uh, I think that Leonard is, uh, there's at least a perception. I'm not sure what level of it is intentional. Some level of it probably is. He's intentionally, I think, provocative and pushes the boundaries of the way that we think. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of benefit to that. It's also garnered him a lot of criticism. Yeah. And I think that he's been misunderstood a fair amount. Um, I mean, even, even titling your book, The Bad Habits of Jesus, is intentionally provocative to get people's attention. Sure, yeah. And to make a point, but I, uh, I think people have varying levels of comfort with having their boundaries pushed. Yeah. Uh, I personally really appreciate that. Even if I don't, I know for a fact that he and I would not agree on um, a number of things, mm-hmm. but I still find that the areas that he pushes for me are really healthy for me to yeah. continue to think in. And so I found that to be true in this conversation. So I think people will really benefit from it. So uh, go ahead and pull up a chair and listen in uh, to my conversation with Leonard Sweet.
Len, thanks so much for being on In the Room. Uh, really appreciate it. It's great. We've been on a, a hiatus, so it's nice to have you back as our first guest. You are described as an author, preacher, and futurist, uh, which is a lot. And so I'd love just to hear a little bit about you and the path that God's led you down, and then if you could tell me what a futurist is. <laughs> I, actually, I think that there's one word that encompasses uh, uh, all of that, and that's a uh, it's a hyphenated word, and it's a uh, it's and I have to explain it, but it's theosemiotician. Okay, right? and the word semiotics is actually based on a Greek word, and and Jesus had a favorite saying: "Red sky in morning, sailors take warning; red sky at night, sailors delight." Uh-huh. And then he went on and said, "You know how to read the signs of the sky. I want you to know how to read the signs of the times." The Greek word there. Or signs is S-E-M-E-I-A, and we get that word semiotics from it. So the ability to to kind of read signs, um, and um, the the there was a tribe of Israel. One of the twelve tribes were their resident semioticians. I call them. And in in Second Chronicles twelve, you remember each one of the tribe comes before David and says. King David, we are the tribe of so-and-so, and this is the gift we offer you. And in verse 32, the tribe of Issachar comes to David. Mm-hmm. And they say, we are the tribe of Issachar, the sons of Issachar. Um, we are the tribe, and this is the twofold part, that knows the times and knows what to do. And so part of my argument is it's not just enough to know the signs, to be able to read them. But it's uh, you have to know what to do about it, and where do sure. we go next? Yeah. So that's the that's the uh, so it's not really I don't see it so much as futuring as how do you read the signs and and read the kind of ultimate sign, of course, as a theo semiotician is Jesus. So how do you read what he's doing mm-hmm. so that we can join him into what he's already up to? Yeah. And so I wrote a whole book on this called Nudge, that we don't take Jesus anywhere. You mean that he didn't arrive on the scene till we got there? Are you kidding right. me? He's already ahead of us. And your mission and mine is to join him in what he's already doing. And sure. It's his mission. We are part of his mission. we got to get on board his mission. Yeah. So, um, and that's why this concept of followership is so important to me. And I, I've written a whole book critiquing what I call the leadership fetish of the boomers Hmm. Um, and um, why that's led us in all sorts of wrong directions. So, yeah, so this whole thing about what does it mean to read signs? Now, I do a preaching resource called PreachTheStory.com where I provide two sermons a week for that. Um, And um, I've always written for other people. Now I'm for the first time writing myself. It's my own site. Um, after I published 1,500 sermons for other people, I'm starting to publish them now for just to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah, I feel you've earned a couple so, of your own. Um, yeah. So, uh, but that's what I do there. Is I read how do you how do you preach semiotically? How do you um, understand that Jesus didn't communicate in words so much? He's communicating in stories and in metaphors. So I exegete the story and the metaphor, and I think. That's what speaks to this culture. It's no longer word-driven. It's, it's story-driven and metaphor-driven. So mm-hmm. I'm showing preachers how do you preach biblically. It's a new kind of expository preaching. Mm-hmm. You're still preaching the Bible. I mean, I'm not interested in general topics, but right. you preach 
biblical story, but you don't lift up the words. You lift up the metaphors and the images. Yeah. So you, I mean, you've written 50 plus books from what I've seen, uh, all these sermons, countless articles. What was, what's sort of been your, for people that aren't super familiar with your biography, um, in a shortened sense, kind of what, what has been, how have you gotten to where you are now? What's your ministry trajectory looked like? How did you get to where you are right now? Well, I started out um, very young. I got my PhD in MDiv in, in four years, so I, I really wow. I was ready to go at twenty five, and and I immediately started. I saw myself as an academic. I'm a scholar, so I started that direction. So I, in my twenties, I still became pro. I became provost of a seminary, and I taught at a university. But I always had a love for the church, so I pastored and did a church plant. Um, in Rochester, New York, and so mm-hmm. I, I, so I had a, like a three ring circus, um, and um, so I did the you know the church pastoring, I planting, yeah. I did the academic stuff in a seminary administration, and I did teaching at a university, University of Rochester. I taught in the history department, three, and. Um, then I was in my early 30s and, and got a call to be president of a seminary in Ohio. So I became president of a, of a seminary. The seminary, by the way, that was founded by the father of Orville and Wilbur Wright. Wow. Yeah, he was a bishop in the United Brethren Church. And in yeah. 1871, he started the seminary. Um, there's a biography of the Wright brothers called The Bishop's Boys. And uh, so I was there for 11 years trying to reinvent theological education. Hmm. Uh, I came there as a total academic. I left there with a as kind of a real passion for reforming theological education. And then I went to be vice president of graduate studies and dean of the seminary at Drew University, mm-hmm. which is another Methodist school in New Jersey. And um, I was there as dean for six years. And then I, I said, this is enough trying to reform and restructure from within. So I stayed on as faculty at Drew, but I um, and I became their East Stanley Jones professor. But then I I started now writing for the church and lecturing and speaking around the world. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know you you've spent a ton of time writing about the church, thinking about the church. You care deeply about it, and it seems to me like so much of the subtext on the church today seems very doomsday, very negative. Everyone ever is leaving the church. Thirty five hundred churches a year are closing. But when you look at things and you think about the futures and you freak the future and you read the signs, as you say, what do you see that encourages you? about what's happening in the church, and um, then on the other end of that, what are some things that are concerns for you that you think, like, we really need to pay attention to this because this is going to be a problem for us down the road? So what do you see that encourages you and what concerns you? Well, let me, uh, let me start with a concern, and then I'll go to what was encouraging. Um, uh, do you know the name Doug Murin? Doug Murin is kind of the, a, a boomer expert. He understands okay. boomer culture. Yeah. Um, better than I do. And I, I had this book that um, I convinced him to work on with me because I, I don't understand boomers as well as he did. But it's um, and we're, we're working on it now. But it's it's a book that um, and I got to be careful because I don't want it to be a blame the boomer book. That's my generation. Mm-hmm. Right. But basically, Ryan, everything the boomers did 
to move the church. They moved it in the wrong direction. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I just, I just, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. And I know I can't write this book until I find one thing the boomers right-footed the church on. Yeah. Because every single thing my generation, that's why I'm the one that has to write this. Yeah. Every single thing we did, we wrong-footed the church for the future. Give me two or three examples. Leadership. Fetish. Okay. Boomers invented leadership. Fundamentally, at best, leadership is a function. Our identity is as a follower. Mm-hmm. And we tried to make our identity as a leader. And mm-hmm. that's what boomers did. Yeah. Uh, an- another example. Um, um, seeker sensitive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that defines you and me as seekers. Well, mm-hmm. that defines God then fundamentally as what? A hider. Yep. God's the hider. Yep. No, read the Bible. Yeah, read the Bible. Yeah. We're the hiders. Yeah. You know, the first, where does, Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are we? We're hiding. Yeah. No, this is our, this is our original problem. We're, hi- we're the hiders. God's the seeker. The story of Genesis to Revelation, the story of God seeking us down, not letting us alone, That's not good. letting us do our own devices. You know what I mean? Totally. So you got to, the, the worst mistakes you can make are category mistakes. Every single one. Boomers made a category mistake. The mega church, big, God does big, think big. No. Mm-hmm. The, the, the future is changed, not by the force of arms or the force of numbers. It's by the the little uh, plantings of seeds. It's by the, the pinches of salt. It's by the leavening of yeast. It's by the little store. You with me? Totally. I mean, yeah. so. I mean, and that all oh, here. Here's a big one. Whenever you are in an environment with no signage, mm-hmm. okay, when you have no signs or the signs are unfamiliar, everyone gets immediately nervous. There's a sense of, you know, you can't feel secure. Mm-hmm. You can't establish an identity. And what did what did boomers do? Let's take out all the signage of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Let's remove it. Let's make it seekers as of and use. I mean, I could go on and on for yeah. an hour here. You know what? So, my generation has messed up the church big time. Yeah, I'm just glad that now I have a whole generation to blame for everything that's wrong in my church. <laughs> <laughs> well, we yeah. I mean, what can I say? Yeah, you know. And even this whole thing about you know giving. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, a theology of giving that boomers made into this, you know, uh, some of them even took it in a prosperity gospel thing. No, mm-hmm. freely you have received, freely mm-hmm. you get. Mm-hmm. Our identity, first of all, I'm, I've got the worst spiritual problem you can almost have, Ryan, because I am a better giver than I am a receiver. Mm-hmm. You know why that's such a deep problem? Because mm-hmm. my basic category is receiver. God's basic category is giver. Everything that I have has been a gift from God. Yeah. And the fact that I have trouble giving means I don't like my category. I want to be God. I got a God complex, which is about as bad as you can get. Yeah. So this whole, I mean, every single thing you look at it, you go, what were we thinking? How come, how, where, how, did, how did the devil get such a hold mm-hmm. on the church for so long? Yeah. And, um, so my, I have so our kids, our first generation of kids, the the Busters, Gen Xers, products of four D: divorce, daycare, debt, digital. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just de- just just having to deal with the this boomer maelstrom. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
But now we've got, I think, a whole new new. So part of my hope is is really your generation mm-hmm. that it will if if this is a big if mm-hmm. if you can re- reclaim and then retain a focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on this. And this is one of the things that Doug Murin told me about. He, he sent 20 of his, his uh, preaching students mm-hmm. on one weekend. He said, I want you to scan 20 of the um, you know, most popular churches in America and their, the, the sermons online. Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me what they're about. And while you're telling me what they're about, I want you to count me the serious substantive references to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in that one weekend, of the 20 of our most prominent churches, all combined, there were three references to Jesus. Oh, gosh. That is terrible. You had moral value. You had a lot of moralism. You had work harder. You had keys to success. You had emotional healing. You had, you know... Um, leadership stuff out the wazoo but you had three mm-hmm. references to jesus and i'm telling you jesus his church will prevail so the issue yeah. for me is not you know what's the future of the church it's jesus has jesus going to do some amazing things yeah you know and here's the here's the the, the key though. Uh, you look at the history of Christianity and the whole history. Start with Judaism. Go to the mm-hmm. Old Testament of Judaism. The whole story. When God's chosen, anointed, appointed instruments decide to have a different mission than God's mission, you know, let's say the people of Israel they go off on their own mission. Yep. When we go off on our own mission, then God says, okay, God respects our choice. Mm-hmm. But God says, I will be in this future. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you are determining whether or not my mission succeeds or fails. So when we go off on our own mission, then how I, I like, you know, how can you not read it this way? Mm-hmm. God almost decides, okay, I'll have a little fun. Mm-hmm. Where's that pagan Persian King Cyrus? I choose you. Yeah. Where's that prostitute Rahab? I choose you. So God chooses people from the culture, from the world, mm-hmm. instead of God's anointed appointed instruments because we're off on our own. And God mm-hmm. says, okay, you know, it's called choice and consequences. You make your choices, here are the consequences. Yeah. So sometimes, actually, God's more active in the world than in the church. Hey, sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about uh, a project that I've worked hard on over the last year and I'm very excited about. It's my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Uh, Time in our culture is one of our greatest commodities. And one of the biggest time investments for pastors is certainly sermon preparation. Uh, But what if there were a way for you to write better sermons in less time? And that's really my hope and my prayer for my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Uh, It's a step-by-step guide for improving your process and being the best steward of time uh, that God's given you. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity and you've been blessed by the podcast, uh, it would be a huge blessing to me if you would uh, run over to Amazon.com or uh, my website, RyanHughley.com, and pick up your copy of Eight Hours or Less.
So when you think about, there's, it seems like, I know you've spent a lot of time with and thinking about the next generation. We're even talking about that now, but every day I see another article bagging on the millennials. And uh, so you're in the college context a lot. What do you see that gives you hope um, in some, uh, specifically maybe to the millennial generation? And then what do you think are some liabilities? Well, the, the biggest hope I, it's millennials. They're all about relationship. I mean, this is the this is what people don't get about digital culture. Yeah, is the more Facebook, the more face to face. It's print culture was the most individualistic, separating, isolating technology you've ever come up with. Yeah, the, the digital culture, um, TGIF, Twitter, Google, Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. that culture connects us i mean so people are connected like never before and we yearn for connection the more facebook i say the more face to face so this is a deeply this is a relationally rich culture and those that have committed themselves to christ this is a relationally rich um adventure agreed and that's the that's our hope right there Mm -hmm. that the gospel the truth biblical truth is not a principle or proposition point. It is a person who calls us into a relationship. Yeah, that's good. And I think anybody's going to get this. It's, it's going to be these the millennials. Um, so I, I have tremendous hope. And it doesn't here, here's it doesn't take many. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible's not about majority rules. I mean, every time the majority rule in the Bible, it ruled wrong. That's right. The Bible is all about critical mass. Two or three. You know, I got two or three here. I got two or three there. Two or three here. I don't, you know, the two or three, maybe two or three hundred or two or three million or whoever, mm-hmm. however, it's two or three. That's the yeah. power. So we just need those committed two or threes. And so that's the, that's what I'm, where I'm really excited is that nobody understands. And, and they're getting a bum rap on this for the very thing they shouldn't. Is that, well, they don't know how to do relationships. No, you know, boomers didn't know how to do relationships. Yeah. Busters didn't know how to do relationships. One of my daughter's friends uh, broke up with her boyfriend, and she she had all of her friends, but she they her friends wouldn't let her do it by by herself. So they had on every they were on every corner as she walked away from her boyfriend's house, <laughs> or on every corner waiting for her yeah. to embrace her and love her. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this is this is so cool. I mean, this yeah. is great, and this is so what it means to be church. Yeah. Uh, do you see any liabilities with speaking of digital culture? Any any ways that that goes bad in your mind for people? Well, I mean, we're seeing them right now. It's a it creates one world. Yeah, and we do not know how to do one world um, where one thing, anything that happens, if something happens here, happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time in history we've ever had this. Yeah. So we don't know how to think. In a, in a, so we got to learn to do the universal and the particular, the global and the local, like never mm-hmm. before at the same time. Yeah, that's good. And right now we're fighting both, but we got to learn to do both at the same time. So that's just one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one thing you don't, I don't, I didn't have to dig around on you very long to see that controversy has uh, at times surrounded you. You're not a stranger, I don't think, to criticism. You've been labeled. Lots of things, which I'm sure you are a huge fan of. Uh, you've been labeled emergent. You've been labeled a mystic. And I read that a great post on your blog even today um, 
that I think might be all the way back from 2007 where you wrote into some of those claims. And I, I get the sense with you that um, you tend to be pretty misunderstood a lot of the time. And I wonder if, number one, if you agree with that, and then two, what, what is it about you that lends itself to being misunderstood, do you think? Yeah, I even got a Facebook page that uh, looks like it's mine, but it's trying to, quote, expose me for being this uh, mystic, contemplative. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with the word mystic, frankly, yeah. or contemplative but um and the emergent movement is dead it's been dead for five ten years maybe yeah. but at any rate yeah. that whole yeah I, I i think um um a couple of things one's god's trying to keep me humble so I, i'm trying to stay humble and uh but the, the second thing is whenever whenever you try and i see myself as very orthodox i mean i'm a very I mean, I just posted yesterday about, um, you know, this whole, and I love what Andy Stanley's doing. You know, I think he's mm-hmm. trying to not just preach to the choir. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. I love to listen to Andy Stanley when he's preaching to the choir, but I'm so glad God's using some people to not just preach to the choir, but that whole, that whole virgin birth issue. You know sure. what I'm talking about? Yep, you know? I do. So, so I just said, and my, you know, I, and I, so I, I didn't, I didn't associate with Andy at all, but because um, I want to support him and love him, and and you, you know, where God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. So when mm-hmm. Andy tries to reach out, you know, there's going to be. But science does virgin births every day. It's called in vitro fertilization. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got hybrid, um, hi, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Have you ever heard of that HBOT? No, I haven't. There, it grows flesh. Wow. I mean, literally, we we have machines now that we when you put your arm in them or whatever, it grows flesh. Mm-hmm. So I, it's it's a scientific miracle. So mm-hmm. I just say, okay. So you you let me get this right. Science can do virgin births, but God can't. Yeah. Science can grow a, a new new flesh on your hand, but God can't. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, let's get out of this rationalist grid. That we've been in. So I'm trying to open up the, the the church that, in many ways, that has a definition of orthodoxy that's been so circumscribed by the reason grid. If it doesn't fit into your reason grid, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, God doesn't come out of our reason grid. God's so yeah. far beyond anything that we can imagine or think. You yeah. know. So. So in doing that, <clears throat> what I do is I open up windows. When you've been in a room for a long time, breathing the same air, breathing each other's air, mm-hmm. basically the church is just this big, we're just sucking on our own balloon juice in the church is all we're doing. <laughs> yeah. And so when you open up those windows and people start breathing some fresh air, you know what happens? Everybody starts coughing. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, you're coughing because the clean air, you're not used to breathing it. Mm-hmm. So how I look at all the criticism is, is I got to, and anybody that's on the front lines, I'm about 10 years too soon. You know, everything, mm-hmm. what I said 10 years ago is now happening. What I'm saying now, people are fighting, but 10 years they'll be saying, you know, uh, but we all got to pass through the coughing. We just got to get used to people coughing. People are going to cough. 
Um, and it's especially the case with me because from day one, I realized this culture does not communicate in words, communicates in metaphors and stories. Yeah. So that's how I communicate. And so when people read my metaphors and stories, they will read into them whatever they yeah. want to read it. Yeah. And so you're open for, and Jesus had the same thing. You know, he had mm-hmm. the same criticism. You know. mm-hmm. That's that's a helpful way to talk about it. Well, one one point I read in your post attempted to clarify that um, just because you've quoted one thing about one thing another person has said does not necessarily mean that you affirm everything that they say, which I thought was a really um, I I I think that's a major problem <laughs> where um, just because you know we we might agree with one thing a person says, if we were to affirm that publicly, it must be an affirmation of everything that person says. And I just frankly don't know anyone that I agree with about everything. But I I, I was just wondering if you have any thoughts around, since clearly it is something you've thought about. Why do you think that we're like that? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a good. I don't. I'm. I can't imagine being like that. You know. I mean, mm-hmm. I. And the more you know, everybody got something wrong. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I mean, I love Luther, but I'm never going to read him or quote to him what he said about the Jews or quote him, you know, in terms of, I mean, there's some nasty, awful stuff there. Yeah. I mean, I love John Calvin, but I you don't want to quote him about, you know, how he handled Servetus and what he thought was to be kind, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, somebody who he saw as a heretic. So. And Wesley's founder of my tribe, man, alive. I love this guy, but he had some really weird. No, I mean nobody. Yeah. So nobody gets it all right. We all. I, I had a theology professor who said, uh, "Class, eighty percent of my theology is right, twenty percent is wrong. I just don't know which is which." Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's good. <laughs> so, I, uh, and I'll tell you, if I die and I'm eighty percent right, I'll be really grateful. That'd be a know? huge win. Yeah. Yeah, huge win. So, so I just start with the fact that nobody's got it all right. Um, I don't even agree with some things I said 20 years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. So nobody's got it all right. God's got, God wants us to grow, to get mm-hmm. deeper, which means our opinions are going to change. And so I don't have it all right. And you, I start with two premises. I don't have it all right. And you have something to teach me. Mm-hmm. I just assume everybody I meet, I don't care who they are. They can be an yep. atheist. They can be an Islam. They can be, um, you know, total secularist. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you got something to teach me. And here's a moment for me to learn something from you. Mm-hmm. I'm not there to judge you and say whether you agree with me or not. No, this is a moment for me to learn something. Mm-hmm. So I start with that. By the way, the word disciple means learner as much right. as any. So I'm constantly learning. I've, I used to be learned, a learned professor. I'm now a learner. And I'm just learning. Mm-hmm. And I just keep learning. And everybody I meet, what can I learn from you? Mm-hmm. So I can, I mean, I mean I'll mean, i quote from anybody. I mean, I know, I want, and somebody, just if I've learned something from you, then I need to, you know, you're, you're, this is a footnote, you know? Yeah, right. Speak well of the bridge that carries you across. You carried me across it as wisdom. So, I mean, I, in one of my books, I think it was Soul Salsa, which is the third volume in that trilogy. You mentioned Soul Tsunami, Aqua yep. Church. Yep. The third one was Soul Salsa. So I was being interviewed like this, except it was a <clears throat> uh, live radio. Yeah. At um, National Radio Show, which we'll go nameless. And so um, 
so the, the people, it, there's one woman who was interviewing me. It was a man and woman. Uh, she goes, uh, you know, how could you? I mean, how could you? This is borderline blasphemy. How could you on the same page quote Jesus and Miss Piggy? <laughs> I, I said, uh, um, is there a problem in me quoting Miss Piggy? Well, you quoted him just uh, on the same page you quote Jesus. And I go, oh, I, I don't know what the, I, how do you deal with these people? I have no yeah. idea. I don't know. So the lesson I guess it. is the lesson is you you can quote Miss Piggy, you just can't do it on the same page as quoting Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I know it exactly. That's what I've learned today. Well, there does. I, I have noticed this with you. There's there seems to be something in you that really you do seem to be particularly adept at being able to grab a tesh, attention grab people's attention, especially through. I think you know you talk about opening the windows. So that's. I think challenging the status quo or what has been a um, a belief that has been largely held or a conviction or a preference or a whatever. And I think one example of that would be your new book that I do want to talk about, The Bad Habits of Jesus, that I think some people would – I mean, I'll be honest, I was reading through the Tyndale catalog and I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about that book cause just because it's a phenomenal <laughs> title. So do you think that's fair? Is that something that you're intentional about? Like I, I want to – I'm intentional about grabbing people's attention, and one way to do that is to really challenge popularly held notions that people have. Is that something that you're mindful of? Here, here's what here's what I'm what gets me up every day and puts me to bed at night and everything else. I want to find new ways to lift Jesus up. Yeah. It, you know, he said, "If I be lifted up, I will draw." Yeah. And. The church, by and large, doesn't trust him to draw. Mm-hmm. We think we got to draw for him. Yeah. So yeah. we're at drawing boards, drawing up this strategy and drawing up this blueprint and drawing up this five points or whatever. No, he's the draw. So I see my mission as a theologian, a semi-optician, to find new ways to lift him up. Yeah, right. that's good. This is all about lifting him up. Mm-hmm. So how do you lift him up, and especially in a culture? And here, here's here's what inspired the book. That those two words together don't go well together. In other words, it's got a negative connotation. Lord, mm-hmm. save me from good Christians. A good Christian has come to mean, you know, smug, self-satisfied, sanctimonious, superior, a good Christian, mm-hmm. and. There's this, you know, T-shirt that uh, um, what where I, when I moved here to Orcas Island 25 years ago, the first T-shirt I saw was "Lord or Jesus save me from some of your followers." So, <laughs> yeah, especially in the Pacific Northwest, Christianity does not have a a quote good reputation, or it has a reputation for being a place where you find all these good Christians. You know, mm-hmm. so and we also live in a culture where the language is flipped. You know, it used to be ridiculous was negative. Now, ridiculous is positive and, and all that stuff. So um, I thought, you know, in, in Jesus' day, he was criticized for some bad habits. Actually, these bad habits were good habits, but in his day, they were seen as bad. So let's talk about those bad habits that he was condemned for in his day that we need to practice today. What does it mean to daily practice the bad habits of Jesus. So I thought it was an interesting twist to get people to look at Jesus in a whole new way. So it's all about not grabbing attention. It's 
how do I lift up Christ in a, in a whole new way? Well, why do you think that this angle on the radical nature of some of what Jesus said and did is so important for us to further understand today? Just that, I mean, do you, I'm, I, I've noticed as a preacher that we tend to have a very sanitized uh, version of Jesus to whatever our personal bent and, and uh, perspectives are. And I'm getting ready to start teaching the Gospel of John this weekend. And one of my favorite things about Jesus is just the way I really believe that if, if you take Jesus for who he is, um, everybody feels uncomfortable <laughs> about something. The Greeks exactly. would have felt uncomfortable with aspects of, 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 of the divine taking on flesh. The Jews felt very uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, we've had this, you know, monotheistic, there's one God, now there's the Son of God who was, like, that just categories explode when you talk about who Jesus really is. So when you think about some of the, these angles that you've written on in this book, what are some of the particulars that you really think are important that we learn today? Yeah, well, I, th- I think uh, I think you're exactly right in that um, we are we are very hesitant to offend anybody, but we're very quick to take offense. Yeah, that's good. Um, he was very slow to take offense, but he didn't have any problem offending anybody. I mean, if, you know, and and to be on offense is to be offensive. I mean, mm-hmm. and Jesus was, he's on an offense against evil. He's on an offense against hatred and against injustice. And he's on this offense. So you're going to be offensive. You're going to be an offense. And the church is such in a defensive posture. And, and, um, you know, you don't score touchdowns on defense by and large. Right. Um, and the church is just so, uh, afraid to offend, but quick to take offense. So, mm-hmm. So part of it is, uh, and I have a whole chapter on this in that in that book, uh, just on Jesus was just offending everybody, and it, if you aren't, and that's why he said, "Beware when all speak well of you." Yeah, that's good. And that's why criticism and the coughing, what I call the coughing, is we need to hear that as good. That, in other words, I must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. Now, if all you hear is coughing, you know, that maybe. You know, maybe you are in the wrong place, but yeah. but initially you got to get past the the coughing, and you got to you got to be willing to to offend. And you know, and this is what I understand completely. It is not easy out there, man. I mean, when you got when you're just trying to follow Jesus and lift him up in a fresh way, introduce people to him, you will get um, you'll get you'll get smeared and seared. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's why I can understand people are just the world's a scary place. It is a scary yes. people take shots at you all the time, man. I can I really have so people are hesitant to raise their heads up and say anything original or fresh. I mean, just keep saying what everybody else is saying. I'll just say it. And, uh, so I understand that. Yeah. But uh, but God has called all of us to um, not to fit in, but to fit together to to move. Christ forward, to be a part of Christ's movement forward into the future. So that's what I'm trying to do. I love that. And I think you did a good job with that. So what's next for you? What are some of the things that you're thinking about right now? Any other projects that you're working on? I know you have the preachthestory.com website. I was on there today. You got some cool stuff that you're working through and thinking through on there. Anything else on the horizon for you that you're excited about? 
Well, yeah, I, I've got a book coming out in April, or actually March, um, the story of my mother. Um, it's called Mother Tongue, but it's, it's the closest I'll ever come to a memoir. But I'm hmm. talking about the wisdom that I learned from her and how it affected me. So it's, awesome. it's a very unusual, very unusual book. Um, Englewood Books chose one of the 30 books to watch of 2017. I appreciated that. Great. Um, and then, um, yeah, and that, then I'm, I'm working on another novel. Um, cool. Kind of a Reformation murder mystery. I'm trying to introduce people to the various strands of the Cross of Reformation. It's our 500th anniversary next year, 2017. Yeah. So I wanted to do that. And then... Um, now I'm, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of, uh, I'm doing another book that I see as more of a church, a little like Bad Habits, but a, a discipleship resource book called Designer Jesus. And the first line says it all, Jesus is your design for living. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean that literally. You want yeah. to know how to live? Look at Jesus. Um, Look at Jesus. Yeah. Don't look at these points, these habits. Look at Jesus. So I've got the Jesus look, the Jesus face, Jesus walk, Jesus groom. Um, and, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just trying to show how Jesus is literally. So it's, it's a life designed by Jesus. I'm trying to move people away from apologetics as philosophy to apologetics aesthetics. Yeah. Love that. So I, I grew up singing a song, Ryan, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate apologetics. Can you see the beauty of Jesus in you? Mm-hmm. It's not what you say. It's not your philosophy. It's not your, you know, argument to uh, rapport and uh, repertoire. Uh, it is... Are you living a life where the beauty of Jesus can be seen? Yeah. So, I, and I think style is important. Style is no longer style, it's now substance. Mm-hmm. Style and substance go together. So, what is the Jesus style? What is the Jesus aesthetics? Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. One of the things hey, I've man. always appreciated about you is uh, for what it's worth worth i really appreciate being stretched to think in in new and fresh ways and i confess to i don't think i've i started reading you when i was young and i don't think i've always understood you and but i can say that i've always been very stretched and uh and today is no different and so i'm i'm really thankful for that and thanks for enduring the criticism and not quitting and giving up in the face of it as so many would be prone to do and uh i'm excited about this new book the bad habits of jesus and hope that it's really helpful for a lot of people thank you Appreciate it, Ryan. Good to start the year with you. You as well. Thanks, man. All right. Yep. Well, my thanks to uh, Leonard for taking the time to share with us. I know that there was a lot of things that really stopped me and made me think, Scott, but I'm interested to hear what you think. So what was a couple things that jumped out to you? Yeah, I think the uh, the, th- the thing that, that he said about kind of engaging with people, mm-hmm. he said he has two premises that he starts off with mm-hmm. uh, when engaging with somebody. One, I don't have it all right. And yeah. two, uh, you have something to teach me. Yeah, And I think that that is... Um, 
such a humble way to approach engaging people. Yeah. Um, but it's also a really uh, beneficial way because yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, and it, it dis, I think it disarms people as yeah. well. And again, like we, we, there, there's a number of people that if, if you had to list it all out, you'd probably disagree with. Yeah. Um, that's a major, I think, conviction of why we started doing in the room too, was mm-hmm. to talk to a diverse group of people. Um, because I, I really do. And I know you do as well. I really genuinely believe I have something to learn from yeah. everyone. People I don't agree with doctrinally. Right. Um, when it comes to philosophy of ministry, uh, I just still think I have something to learn, and and in fact, I love that that first part about his prep, his uh, or the second. What was the second part of his? That yeah, I yeah. have something to learn from you. Yeah, you have something to teach me. Yeah, and the first part is that I don't have it all figured out. Yep, I'm teaching through John's Gospel right now, as you know, and I was reading commentary this week, and I believe it was D. A. Carson. Um, he's commenting on the blindness of the Pharisees, but he mm-hmm. says that. And this is going to be a paraphrase, but essentially that there's no one uh, that is more blind than a religious person who thinks they can see everything. Yeah, And uh, I think that anytime we get to a point where we think I have it all figured out. Now, clearly there's some things we need to have nailed down. Sure. Um, but uh, a lot of people just have that with everything. Yeah. I just think I have everything nailed down and I think that's problematic. Yeah, it is. And I think that, um, I think that it allows for, uh, for, for greater amounts of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way that, that people truly grow. When you think of somebody you might disagree with, and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe as, as it hashes out, you're right and they're wrong mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. I, I don't think anyone's ever won over by being told super harshly you are wrong right um as opposed to well let's talk and mm-hmm. let me learn from you let me yeah. and and also i think just to piggyback off that let me hear um hear the experiences that you've walked through mm-hmm. and, and let me hear about your story because that really influences i think some of the things that people say and do um and and, and it just, in order, if you're open to that, I think it then, uh, sim- you, you sympathize with that person and have a greater understanding for them, which leads, I think, to, to better relationship and growth. So. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing for me that I just want to be super clear about is that I at no point said everything wrong with the church is the fault of the boomer generation. That's true. Those words came that out was of all, his mouth. That was all Leonard. I did not, I didn't piggyback on that. That for, was not me. For all you boomer <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and you can email Leonard Sweet at, uh, no, I don't have his email, but it was not me that said that. Yeah, I, I and I he think made some good points, though. He did. He made some good points, and I think that honestly, every generation is going to have some things that they did really well and mm-hmm. some things they did poorly. Totally. We're going to have that, and uh, and so I think it's I think it's important to look at. I think continue one thing he said. Um, he said our generation needs a reclaimed focus on Jesus, mm-hmm. and I think that. Um, we need to continue to drive back to Jesus yeah. and um, continue to drive back to God's word mm-hmm. and and allow those things to be the most important things. What do you think about the stuff that he said about social media and relationship and millennials and all that? Yeah, I, I thought it was good. Um, I find myself on this bubble um, just with my age and, and life stage mm-hmm. where I don't know if I'm quite a millennial. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I don't want to be grouped in. With are that. you wearing socks with your shoes right now? Yes, I am. Okay. Well, you are on the bubble. They're just low. They're so very you low. See so it kind of looks like you're not even sure. Am that's, I a millennial? That's or? true. Yeah. But see, here's why I'm, yeah, here's why I'm not a millennial is because I woke up this morning and I cut a pair of socks. <laughs> 
so very that, resourceful. So that they, yeah, I didn't even buy new ones. I yeah. cut old ones. My daughter was like, Dad, why are you cutting your socks? <laughs> I said, well, honey, let me tell I you. I do think some of the stuff, though, that he said about social media is good. I, I do believe that depending on your vantage point, yeah. the way I was even just having a conversation today with a friend who uh, said, like, Gen Xers look at social media and, uh, or even older than that, and think it's just inherently narcissistic. Right. Whereas younger people and people that maybe participate, and that's not probably entirely inaccurate. Yeah. But then also, I think people that are very much a part of millennials or whatever, a part of like living their life on social sure. media, it is an uh, about an, from their perspective an openness yeah. with one's life, sharing life and experience, and it yeah. is increased community. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, and so I think to try to understand it from each other's vantage point, I think yeah. that younger people should listen to and ask themselves. Is there something inherently narcissistic in what I'm doing? Yeah. And I think you know people that may not be super plugged into social media platforms could try to understand it a little bit more rather than just have this like angry old man get off my yard type thing. Yeah, all them young kids on yeah. social media. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and so what he said in the episode about um, a doing, what do you say? You, the, we need to learn to do both like global and mm-hmm. local well. Yeah. Yeah. And so being, because it is, like mm-hmm. we can't escape actual relationships. And, right, you uh, can't just live your life on Instagram. Right, and need to be plugged into a church. Need to have mm-hmm. people speaking in our lives. All of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there also is something to be said about the um, the the way we can be plugged in with the global church yeah. via social media. Yeah. And I think one thing in particular is the. Uh, increased awareness I've had of fellow brothers and sisters suffering mm-hmm. um, uh, in other countries where there isn't a freedom of religion that sure. we have here. There's sermons that I've listened to via podcast that right. I mean have literally altered the course of my life yeah. that I would not have had ac- access to apart from it. So yeah. there is a lot of good in it. Yeah. So just like anything, it's balancing that tension. Yeah. And uh, and and I think that's the way forward. But well, I think my goal with these conversations is not always that um, they're not sermons. Yeah. You know, I think they are. I one of the things I hope they always give me something that I. I have to wrestle with. I hope people listening in, it forces them to wrestle with some things. I'm actually just as happy if someone walks away agreeing with everything that Mm -hmm. a guest said or walking away feeling like they agree with nothing but continuing to have dialogue with other people in their life about it. Both of those in my mind are a win. Totally. It's good to wrestle with those things. So I'm really thankful for uh, Leonard Sweet, his new book and uh, and his conversation with me. Uh, As always, you can connect with me uh, further, Ryan Hughley uh, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or my blog, ryanhughley.com. You can find Scott, Scott Holthouse on all those platforms as well. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening in this week. We'll have a new episode up next week and look forward to being with you again then. 